Welcome to City Church. We are a biblically-based, relationally-driven, spirit-led church, encouraging everyone to follow Jesus, grow together, and serve others. We're excited to share this sermon with you today, and you can always find out more about us online at citychurchseville.com. Hey, so listen, welcome to all of you. Um, for those of you maybe who are newer just wanted to let you know again that in 2022, we took, a, we took an entire year to look at one thing in the Bible, and that was the kingdom of God. And this year, we're taking a look at the kingdom of God. How do you live in it? What does it look like for the kingdom of God to have come and God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven? And so what we're going to do this morning is the message is entitled very simply, Kingdom Living, Serving Others. So what I'm going to ask that you would do with me now is stand. What we always do is pray the Lord's Prayer out loud together. The reason for that is, is that the Lord's Prayer is found in the Sermon on the Mount. And the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus's casting of a new vision for a new people that will be part of his kingdom. And in the middle of that, the Lord's Prayer is brought to us. We pray it every single Sunday out loud and we pray it together. So let's pray it out loud. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, holy So this morning's message is entitled Kingdom Living, Serving Others. And so what will be happening over the next several weeks is that everyone who gets up here to preach is going to focus on that theme, Kingdom Living and Serving Others. Now a couple of things to keep in mind before we um, read our reading this morning from Scripture, an episode of the life of Jesus, is the following thing, that the episode we're getting ready to look at, Jesus will be dead within a week. And the other thing to always remember about reading Scripture in the Newer Testament is that unlike most other religions, you cannot separate Jesus' teachings from him. They go together. You cannot separate them. It doesn't work if you do. The other thing to keep in mind is, is if you read the Bible, um, just so you know, the entire Newer Testament is one run-on sentence. In Greek and Hebrew, there's no punctuation. And so because of that, what Jewish writers do in the Newer Testament was written primarily by Jewish writers. Most, what they'll end up doing is they'll, repeating, they'll repeat certain words in a story or in a parable, and therefore you know the point of the story or the parable, because instead of putting in exclamation points, they'll repeat a common theme or a word. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? Yeah. So the episode we're getting ready to read from the Gospel of John, I have highlighted and um, underlined and emboldened the theme. And so when we get done, I want to see if you can catch it. If you can't, you are sound asleep. John 13, 1 through 17, Jesus washes his disciples' feet, Let's take a look at serving together. It was just about the Passover before the it was just before the Passover festival, and Jesus knew that the hour had come 
for him to leave this world and go to his father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. I want you to think about your closest people in your life. What would you do if you had one final meal with them? What would you say? What would you do? What would you want to talk about? If you had an insurance person, they'd say, get the policies out and make sure everyone knows about them. A lawyer would say, refresh the will. Maybe someone who's really into home maintenance would say, go up and blow out the gutters one last time. Get all that stuff done. But what we're getting ready to read now is what Jesus does, and the text just told us he knows that his life is over. He knows it. So Jesus is eating a final meal with his disciples. Here we go. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. And Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, wrapped a towel around his waist, And after that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you will never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord Simon Peter replied, sounds a little bit like a control freak. Um, He answered, what does he say? Not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. And Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. How many of you took a bath? Only your feet are dirty, according to Jesus. Let's read on. Their whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you, for he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet." I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. So what is this all about? Well, how many of you know what the point of the story was? Did you catch it? What is it about? It's about washing feet. It is about foot washing. So I have a question. Do you want to be blessed? Let me ask this again. How many of us got up this morning and said, I pray today I am cursed? None of us. You got up this morning, and what do you think? I pray that I am what? Blessed. Do you catch that? Now, with that in mind, Jesus says, if you will go out and wash other people's feet, you will be what? Blessed. How many of you have washed feet recently? Your own kids aren't included, and your own feet are not included. We're talking about. So what we're going to do very quickly is we're going to take a very brief biblical journey and discover what is Jesus talking about. Well, it's interesting to note that in the scriptures, and one of these is the chapter prior to the one we just read from, 
There's a story found in all four Gospels, which is rare, of a woman washing Jesus' feet. And one of them, the longest one, is found in the Gospel of Luke. And in Luke's Gospel, Jesus, the text tells us, he is reclining at a table and he's eating a meal. And the scripture is very clear. He's in the home of a religious leader. He has been invited in as the honored guest. And he goes into this guy's house. And the text says that he is eating a meal. And while he is eating a meal, there's a woman behind him that is washing his feet. Now, the text also tells us that Jesus has no clue who the woman is and he does not see her. So that seems weird because you and I, if we go over to a friend's house, we're the honored guests, let's say that happens, you will sit at a dining room table, you'll sit in a chair, and you'll see everyone in the room. You know who comes in and out. But you see, in Jesus' day, no one sat in chairs. You would recline on the floor. You would recline on the floor. You would prop up pillows under your left side, and you would use your right hand to reach out and take food and eat it. The reason why is in ancient culture, your left hand is for latrine duties and your right hand is used to connect with people. Do you catch this? So what we have then is Jesus is reclining on the floor. His legs are tucked up underneath him. He is the honored guest of this meal. He is leaning on his left. His feet are behind him and he's eating with his right hand. And partway through the episode, Luke 7.39 tells us when the Pharisee, the guy that had invited him into his home, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, he sees this woman that's washing Jesus' feet, and he says, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of a woman she is, that she is a what? A sinner. What we know clearly from the four gospel accounts she is what we would call a woman of the night. And for some reason, she has logged on to the fact that Jesus is at a house. There's a dinner being thrown into his honor. Somehow she gets in the house. She positions herself behind Jesus. And the text says that she begins to wash his feet. Now, what's interesting to note is that the self-righteous religious leader who invited Jesus is stunned that if Jesus is a prophet, he would ever let her touch him. Because in ancient Jewish theology, if you bump into or touch a woman like this, you are what's called unclean. And so Jesus has not turned around. He doesn't know who she is, but she's been washing his feet. And then the text picks up on the story, and I want us to read it as we look at foot washing in the Newer Testament. Luke 7, 36 through 50, Jesus anointed by a sinful woman. Here's what the text says, is that after this man thinks this to himself, it says, then Jesus turns towards the sinful woman and said to Simon, the Pharisee, who is the host, do you see this woman? By the way, in the ancient world, he is actually now snubbing the host and he's giving her honor and focusing on her. So the text is clear. Jesus literally physically turns, looks at her, but keeps talking to Simon the Pharisee. 
The passage is very detailed. So Jesus turns, he's talking to this woman. She's the one that's been washing his feet. And it says, then he turned toward the sinful woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? He had obviously seen her and knew who she was. One of the questions was, how did he know her? We won't go into that. Let's go back to the story. I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. And then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. By the way, this scene is phenomenally uncomfortable because Jesus is in the righteous home of a righteous leader. And this woman of the night has been using the implements of her illicit trade to wash his feet. She has used her tears. She's used her lips. She's used her perfume. And she's used her hair. Those are all the things she would have used to seduce men. And now, because Jesus is in the house, she's been observing him and watching him. I wonder if she didn't see the episode of the woman caught in adultery where Jesus defended her and kept her alive. She comes to the house, and because he's been snubbed publicly, because if you're the honor guest in the house, someone always washes your feet, they would have put oil on his head. They would have added a little deodorant to make him smell better. And he'd have been known as the honored guest. He was the honored guest, but the host had completely snubbed him to embarrass him. And so she is rectifying a wrong. And she is brokenhearted that this Jesus has been treated this way. So she's making it right. Now we go on to the first time Foot washing is ever mentioned in the Bible. You see, we teach here at City Church that there's an interpretive law when you read the Bible for those of you who like to think more deeply about Scripture. It's called the law of first mention. And so anytime you look at a theme in the Bible, you have to start where the Bible first mentions it, and everything connects back to that. And so foot washing is first mentioned in Genesis 18.4 where Abraham, the father of all faith, is there and the text tells us that he invites three guests to come into his tent and he says, let a little water to be brought and then you may all wash your feet and rest under a tree and then food is brought. You see, the first time it's ever mentioned, hospitality in the ancient world always involves some water, to wash people's feet. The last time it's ever mentioned in the Bible is by the Apostle Paul to a young pastor at the church of Ephesus called Timothy. And Paul writes to Timothy, you see, because 
the first century church had moved out into the community and were taking care of widows. Because in the ancient world, if you were a widow, you could not own property. You would be destitute almost instantly as your husband's brothers would come and take all of your property and leave you penniless. So the first century church had made a move to take care of widows. It's estimated there might have been up to 100,000 widows living even in Jerusalem. And so the first century church had made a move to take care of these widows as they extended the heart of God to these people. So Paul writes to Timothy, and here's what he says about the widows that are the ones that should be taken care of. Here's what he writes. No widow may be put on the list of widows unless she is over 60, has been faithful to her husband, and is well known for her good deeds, such as bringing up her children, showing hospitality, and what does it say next? And washing the feet of the Lord's people, helping those in trouble, and devoting herself to all kinds of needs. What's interesting to note, though, is foot washing after the Gospels. This is the only time it's mentioned. And yet Jesus says, if you want to be blessed, you will wash people's feet. But this is the only time it's mentioned. So it seemingly kind of evaporates from the Newer Testament. So the question becomes, what's the deal with the washing of feet? How do we approach it? I'm assuming for those of us that follow Jesus and maybe those of you who are looking over the wall of faith and following Jesus, and you think, man, if I'm going to do this, I want to be serious. Obviously, Jesus is serious about washing feet. The way we kind of discover what's going on here is let's go back to the original episode that we read. What we find is, is that the apostle Peter has massive problems with Jesus washing his feet. So John 13, 2 tells us the following. The evening meal is already in progress, and the devil has already prompted Judas Iscariot, or Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. And then Jesus, the text says, he gets up from the meal, and he wraps a towel around his waist. And then the text says, after he does that, he takes off his outer garment he removes it, and then the text says he takes some water, and he begins to move towards the disciples. So Jesus, with them reclining, would have gone behind them. Their feet are tucked in behind them, and Jesus would have come behind them and began to wash their feet. Now, I've often asked myself, what order did he go to the disciples in? I wonder. Because what we just read said Judas has already decided to betray him. I wonder if he went to him first. How awkward. Can you imagine Jesus washing Judas's feet, Judas looking over his shoulder, and their eyes meet? Awkward. And then Jesus, the text says, at some point gets to Peter and he gets ready to wash Peter's feet. And Peter says, there's not a chance in the world you're going to do this to me. Now, the question is, why? Why is it so off-putting for Peter? And here's why. Peter has identified him as the Christ, the son of the living God. 
Peter was in the room when he saw the woman who of ill repute who washed Jesus's feet. That's probably the last time he saw Jesus's feet get washed by someone else. And all of that begins to come back. And the text is clear that the meal had already started, meaning that none of the disciples humbled themselves to get the basin and to get the water and go and wash their brother's feet. They all walked right by it, saw it, but were too proud and unwilling to do it. So Jesus waits until the meal is up and running, long after foot washing should have happened. And he gets up and he takes the bowl and he takes the water and he washes the disciples' feet and he comes to Peter and Peter goes, not, never gonna happen. You see, Peter identified Jesus as the king. He had identified him as the son of the living God. He had identified Jesus as the one that God had promised to send into the world from Genesis chapter two, that he's the one that everyone's been waiting for. And Peter is completely awestruck and dumbfounded by why the king of the universe would ever get up from a meal and humble himself like a common slave and do it with such dignity. Last week, I promised my wife I would take out the trash. I forgot. I came home, and the trash was at the curb. I felt like driving off because I knew when I walked in, I'd go, ah, Fran, thank you for taking the trash to the curb. And she would say, and she had every right to, and she did. I thought you said you were going to do that. Can you imagine Peter sitting there? And he looks at Jesus and goes, oh, no. Now Jesus has to do what I should have done. You see, Peter's the oldest of the disciples. He was the one that should have done this, but he doesn't. No one else does either. So Jesus is now washing his disciples' feet. By the way, my feet are going numb. I'm going to get up. I don't know how they do that, but. But the idea here is, when Peter sees Jesus do it, there's an imbalance of power, and it freaks him out. Social norms are being broken. The king is behaving like a servant. Human dignity, Jesus is just putting that aside. What stunning is, is that Jesus' comfortability with doing this It really goes after Peter's pride. So how do we put feet to our faith? Every sermon that we ever preach here has a practical feet to your faith. What do we do with this? Well, feet to your faith and your feet to foot washing. And Jesus said clearly in John 13, 17, now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. You see, the kingdom of God is based on knowing and doing. Just to know it and not do it doesn't count. So as I was thinking about this week, this message, I thought about the people I connected with this past Friday and Saturday. On Friday, a young couple reached out. They just had their second baby was just born. It's awesome. 
And then here in this sanctuary, we turned this into somewhat of a dinner time for people who are in the third third of their life. The third third of their life. There's no longer halftime. It's now third third. We were here together and we had a wonderful meal. We had an absolute blast as we selectively embarrassed people in their senior of years. It was awesome. to. And then yesterday, I spent the day, and there's some of them sitting up front, I spent the day with about 30 UVA wrestlers at a tournament in Roanoke. And here's what I noticed about every single one of them. From Friday to the, the senior dinner here to the wrestlers, they all have feet. Shocker. Every one of them have feet. Well, I wonder if that's why foot washing is done by Jesus. Because all of us have feet. A guy named Anthony Robles, by the way, in 2011, he had one leg and won the NCAA National Tournament for wrestling at 125 pounds. People were stunned. But to understand foot washing is to understand the following. Foot washing is the culturally understood idea in the Bible that becomes the symbol for serving the way Jesus served. You see, if we are Jesus' followers, we are called to be people that serve like Jesus did. I don't care how great you are in other people's eyes. You're not greater than Jesus, and yet he served. And at the end of our story that we read earlier, the text says in John 13, 3, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, wrapped a towel around his waist, and after that, he poured water in a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet. Here's three things Jesus knew that allowed him to serve without even caring what anyone would think. The text tells us three things. He was completely confident that the Father is truly in control, that he had come from God, was returning to God. You see, Jesus' identity was completely understood through God's opinion of him. The same with everyone that follows Jesus. You see, in Jesus, we have the opportunity to bring on a new identity and why we do life and how we do life. But it is an upside-down kingdom. So if climbing the ladder and looking great is something that motivates you day and night, I have amazing news for you. You don't have to live like that anymore. Because living like that exacts a toll on your life. It crushes life. But in Jesus, we have an opportunity to do life different in his kingdom. Where Jesus said, the greatest among you are those who serve. Would you stand with me? And let's take a moment to pray. As we stand together, let's close our eyes in God's presence just for a moment. We began our time together right before the sermon by praying the Lord's Prayer. That God's kingdom would come. And that his will 
would be done. Would we be women and men who are open to partnering with God in this world by serving others, knowing that nothing was beneath Jesus, therefore nothing is beneath us either. That we would be women and men who would serve because our identity and our confidence is in God.